The text for this morning is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. These are the last three verses of chapter 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. After the preaching of the gospel of salvation, we will sing in response hymn 38. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, just a moment ago we sang from Psalm 43 these wonderful words about this desire that we have to be with God, and we also sang similar words in our pre-service psalm, uh, Psalm 42, this thirst that we have for, for being with God. Send forth, O God, of my salvation, your light and truth to be my guide. Lead me to my destination, your holy hill and habitation. And then in stanza 4 of Psalm 43, Then at your sacred altar standing, my hands to you in prayer I'll raise. In that psalm, and then also Psalm 42, these are a combination of of psalms, we can see how the the psalmists, the sons of Korah, They were writing here, singing here, of of somehow being removed from the place where God is worshipped. It's an expression of of a desire, such a fervent desire to go back where, where they belong, where they can be with God. Our God is our highest joy. God is everything that we need for our life. And and if as his people we would ever feel that hurt of being ripped away from his presence, well, that that thought, that feeling is, I think, too awful for words. But that is the the sense that we have to sort of try to capture with our hearts this morning if we want to understand the yearning that the people of God had for the coming of Christ. The sermon this morning is a continuation of uh, a series that I began, I preached the first one some time ago, maybe a couple of months ago here, uh, concerning the threefold office of Jesus Christ. We heard some time ago about uh, the office of Christ as our chief prophet, and this morning we'll hear about the office of Christ as our high priest, and this afternoon as our eternal king. We want to understand what we're missing without Christ. 
as we continue to celebrate this wonder, this continual celebration of the wonder of the coming of Christ, we want to know what it means that the Messiah was coming to function as our only high priest. The question that we have is why was it so important for him to have this role? Well, we understand that this is extremely important for us because we understand the great benefit that he gives us as our high priest. He has accomplished something that is an incalculable benefit for us. It's something very good uh, for us that Jesus functions as our high priest. And so we want to get right into the text here. Chapter 4 of Hebrews, in verse 14 we read, Since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So, Jesus Christ, as our priest, has passed through the heavens. What does that mean? Well, it means that our Savior, our mediator, our priest, he has gone into the presence of God the Father. We understand that he goes in as a sacrifice for our sins. Why? Well, he did this in order to bring us to God. In our reading from Hebrews chapter 9, we had this comparison between the work of the Old Testament priests and then the work of our high priest, Jesus Christ. We're taught here that just as the Old Testament high priest went into the most holy place, and they did this just once a year, they went into the most holy place in order to atone for the sins of the people of God, Jesus Christ, in the same way, but in an absolutely fuller sense, with absolute effectiveness, he atoned for us by presenting his own blood in the real presence of God. And we have to see a very powerful distinction there. You see, the most holy place of the tabernacle, the most holy place of the temple, that was understood to be the place where, where God actually was. God's presence was, was in Israel, in the nation of Israel. His presence was centered in Jerusalem even more centered in the temple and the hot spot of God's presence. His holiness was in that most holy place. God really was there. But what do we see in Hebrews chapter 9? That most holy place wasn't the real most holy place. The one in the tabernacle or the one in the temple, it was understood to be a copy of the real most holy place in heaven. So from our reading, we understand that Jesus went into the real most holy place in heaven, into the very presence of God Himself, and in making atonement for our sins, He effectively and with finality, He opens the way for us to have access to God. And because He has done this, because He has effectively open the way into God's presence, and because He is still functioning there as our high priest, the way into God's presence is opened for us. And that, brothers and sisters in Christ, is a wonderful thing for us to hear. 
This is the word of comfort that we read in places like Romans 5, verse 1. This word of comfort, therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access into this grace in which we now stand. We have access to God. And that truth that we're able to hear this morning is is even more amazing for us when we consider the great difference there is between what we have now and what God's people had then. What was all this like before the coming of Christ? What was access to God like before Jesus was born? Before He did all of His work? Access to God was severely limited. The way into His presence was was in a way or in a degree, it was blocked. You couldn't just go in there. This was part of the role of the Old Testament priest, guarding the entrance to the tabernacle or to the temple. The priest had to regulate entry into the presence of God. Hebrews 9 verse 8, uh, it shows us that while that temple was still in service, while all the, the priests, the Old Testament priests were performing their duties, while they were in the business of, of taking the sacrifices of the people and offering them to God, while they were performing all of these sacred rituals in the holy places of the, of the tabernacle, of the temple, while all of that was going on, the thing that was being taught was the way into God's presence is not yet opened. Access to God was severely limited, and it was also, it was also always sort of in a state of jeopardy. Access to God is something that could be taken away. The priests, the Levites, the priests, they had to see to it that the relationship between God and His people was maintained. And it was maintained through all of the work that they were doing, the sacrifices, the ceremonies of the law, the teaching of God's Word to His people. And God's promise for His people in the Old Testament was that if these things are being done faithfully... Right? If you are keeping my Sabbaths, if you are keeping these festivals, if you are bringing sacrifices uh, continually before me, if you are keeping my covenant, well then the promise is God says, I will remain with you. I will be with you and it will be well with you here in this place where I'm living with you. Their access to God would continue as limited as it was. But the big question here is, what happened? What happened in the history of God's people? Well, the priests didn't perform their work faithfully. The priests couldn't remain perfectly faithful in all of this work. The tabernacle and temple worship so often became corrupted. The people's hearts were turned away from God. They were worshiping idols. They were doing all of the detestable things that the nations were doing before Israel got there. They lost their way into God. There's this vision in Ezekiel. It's a heartbreaking vision about the glory of God. Remember the, the glory of God at the, at the institution of the, the tabernacle and the same thing when, when Solomon Uh, built the temple and there was the institution of of that uh, worship there, the glory of God descends on it 
in this cloud, and he shows them, I am living here. And this, there's this vision in Ezekiel about the glory of the Lord leaving that temple, going up and away from it, and taking off away from God's people, away from this land, because they were not faithful to him. God's presence leaves, and he sends his people into exile, away from him, away from everything that he had promised to give them. And there's something further that we have to understand with this idea of the expectation of the coming of Christ. That in this period before the birth of Christ, there's a sense in which even though the people of Judah, the people of Israel, Jews, are back in the land, even though they're back from Babylonian exile, they're restored to the place that God gave them, they were still experiencing a form of exile. All was not well with them. There was a lot that was wrong. They were, still, they were under the rule of the Romans. They were subjugated under foreign rule. And this is contrary to the ideal, which is that God would have His King on the throne, that God Himself would be the ruler over them, and they would have peace and, and freedom from, from oppression. So they were subjugated by Rome. They had no king on the throne. There was no son of David on the throne. And the people of God were longing for the return of these golden ages of the Davidic kingdom. The wonderful life that Israel had enjoyed with God so long before. Think of the days of David and Solomon where there was beautiful peace in the land of Israel there was no fear of enemies, and the, and the favor, the love of God for His people was not only evident to them, but it was evident to everybody around. The nations would see Israel and say, wow, what a God they have. And they wanted that restoration, and we'll see this afternoon how they wanted that restoration under that promised Davidic king, but they also needed restoration under the priest who would secure that peace with God for them again. The Old Testament priests, through their work, they were meant to maintain that way into God, maintain that fellowship with God, but it failed. But even if they were successful in, in all of the work that was given them to do, they would still not be able to give the people the real thing. The real way into the real presence of God. That was the whole point of Hebrews 9. So what were those priests doing if they weren't given the real thing? Well, we can almost say that when, when the priests were doing their work, when they were bringing the sacrifices, when they were ministering before God in the, in the temple, they were sort of pretending or mimicking to do only what Jesus himself could do. The items in the tabernacle were copies of the real things in, in heaven. The service that was going on there was a copy of the real service of Jesus Christ. And the presence of God there was a copy of God's fuller presence. And so all of that work you could almost think is sort of a dress rehearsal for the work of Christ that would really accomplish all of the things that were being taught by the Old Testament ceremonies. So the work of the Old Testament priests, they were a promise. 
They were a proclamation. They were a teaching about the work of Christ that was going to be happening. Yes, they maintained the way into the presence of God, but you could say that it was a dimmer form of the presence of God. Yes, God was certainly there with his people, but they did not enjoy the fullness of his presence that was to come. And even what they did have, it was all taken away. So, something more was needed. A better and greater, more effective high priest needed to come. One who would open up the real way into the immediate presence of God, but also someone who would be able to keep it open. This is what Jesus Christ has done as our high priest. This is why we're told to be very confident about coming before the throne of God. Since Jesus, since it's Jesus who is our high priest, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Our relationship with God is not in jeopardy. Our relationship with God is secure. And every blessing that, that God has ready for us, blessings that are being prepared for the people of God who are reconciled to Him, every blessing is secure, every blessing is guaranteed because Jesus is our high priest. He opened the way. He has taken his place as our mediator in heaven, the one who prays for us, the one who makes requests on our behalf from his Father. And because of all this, we are able to know that at all times, at all times, we receive every single blessing that we need. Because you have a high priest who knows what you need. That's really important for us to to understand that you have a high priest who knows what you need. Verse 15 of our text, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we, as we are, and yet without sin. Jesus Christ, our priest, is true God and true man. Jesus Christ, our high priest, experienced every temptation that would ever come upon us. He experienced every hardship, every hardship that would threaten to smash your confidence in God. He knows what's out there in the world. He knows the things that shake you up. He knows what's out there that, that is designed to rip you away from God. And he also needs, he, he knows what you need to overcome those things. Because he was just like us. Because he is just like us. Only without sin. He's your advocate. That's a word that is, that's used quite often in legal settings, in, in a courtroom. An advocate is the one who, who speaks for you. 
He's the one who represents you, who represents you to the court. He's someone who knows how to argue. He knows the law. He knows how to make the law work in your favor. But the term is also used in issues of, of health as well. Sometimes people who are really sick need people to advocate for them. They need someone who knows their medical history. They, they need someone who, who knows their unique circumstances. Someone who has the boldness to plead with doctors and nurses. The boldness to demand that, that you receive the treatment that you so badly need. This is our Jesus. This is what he does for us. He knows what you need. You will never be in a situation that God does not understand. We have to know that. We can never say something like, like, yeah, I, I'm a sinful person. I'm a creature. But I know my situation from a creaturely perspective with creaturely eyes. And how could God ever know what I'm going through with the mind that I have and the heart that I have because God is God. He can only see things from a God perspective. He can't actually know what I'm going through, can He? You know, and that puts me in a certain situation. I know what's best for my life. And if I were God, I would make such and such happen in my life. God doesn't make it happen because... As God, He cannot possibly know what I'm, what I'm thinking or feeling. He couldn't feel what I feel. And we know that we use that as an excuse, don't we? We use that to excuse our responses to whatever situation. If we respond without faith. Well, no, says the writer to the Hebrews. God knows. He knows. God knows your condition. God knows your condition better than you know your condition. He knows your situation, and above all, He knows what is the answer to your condition. And He gives it if you ask in faith. James 1, verse 5, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all and without finding fault, and it will be given him. And in wisdom here, this, this, isn't mean, this, this doesn't mean just intelligence or being smart, being clever. But wisdom here is the same as uh, what we read wisdom in Proverbs. The wisdom of God is, or the wisdom is the fear of God, faith in God. If any of you lacks the fear of God, faith in God, ask God and He will give it generously without finding fault. James 1 continues, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Why shouldn't we doubt? Why may we not doubt? We may not doubt because of who Jesus is. Because of who He is. He is our priest 
He's opened the way to God. He keeps the way open. He knows exactly what blessing you need from God and He advocates for you so that you are guaranteed to receive it. That's who Jesus is for you. And since that's true, we can take a real joy in the last verse of our text. Let us then up with confidence, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, the mercy that we need, that we may find grace to help in time of need. It's not a run-of-the-mill grace or mercy that is sort of a one-size-fits-all for everybody. No, your priest knows you, and he knows what you need. You receive the mercy that you need and the grace that you need. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence, and that's a big difference. There's a huge difference between, between going up and making a request for something that you, know, you don't really think you're going to get. And there's a big difference between that and making a request for something that you know for sure that you are going to receive, right? When we pray to God, when we make requests, we must believe, we must believe that God will give what we ask of Him in faith. When we ask the things that we ought to ask for and when we believe it, God will grant it. That is His promise. And there's no promise that God has ever made that has fallen to the ground. When you pray, when you pray, you ought to imagine that you are being brought to the, to the entrance of the very throne room of God Himself in heaven. You are there. You're standing there outside the presence of God and, and there's all kinds of people out there and everybody wants to go in. Everybody wants to be able to go in and, and make some request of God. They all want to have an audience with God, but no one is allowed to go in. Why? Because everybody is filthy. Everybody is a sinner. Nobody has any right at all to go into God. What a tragedy. But then Jesus himself comes out and he locks eyes with you. Oh, you. And Jesus himself comes to you and he says, Oh, hey, it's you. You're the one that I love. And you belong to me. Let's go in together. Like nobody else is allowed to go in. But Jesus takes you and says, come on, you come with me. We'll go in together and we will make your request. And Jesus says, and I'll even tweak your request. Like, you think you know what you need. I know what you need. We'll get what you need. You belong to me, and, and that means that God is your Father. He loves you, and He loves to bless His children. Let's go. Let's go in together, and, and we'll make sure that you get exactly what you need. What kind of confidence are you going to have in that situation? When you are going into the very presence of God with Jesus Himself and He is there as your advocate 
of course, you're going to have the highest confidence imaginable. That's what he does as our priest. You know that you receive exactly the mercy and the grace that you need from your Father, your Father for the sake of Jesus Christ. How precarious our situation is without our high priest. How could we have any standing at all without our high priest Jesus? But we know for a fact, we know for a fact that he is our priest. He is the pioneer of our salvation. He is our mighty advocate and friend. Jesus now in glory raised, our ascended Lord be praised. Amen.